You know what we need? We need a radio show on the air, like maybe on Saturday nights, that talks about this kind of thing. Hi, Dr. Hoffman here. I want to let my listeners know about a brilliant Renaissance man named Dr. Arthur Perry. You want to talk to Arthur Perry? The best in plastic surgery. He's a distinguished, award-winning cosmetic surgeon trained at Harvard and Cornell with a practice in New York City on Fifth Avenue. Dr. Oz, are you there? I'm here, Arthur, and I want to get applaud you, having worked with you on a book and numerous other activities. He's written numerous medical journal articles, and he's contributed to textbooks on plastic surgery. Your remarkable knowledge, but also your grace at delivering content, which is why it's been a blessing to have you on my show so many times. It's clear that when it comes to skin and aging, this doctor knows what he's talking about. Joan, the public wants to know. The public doesn't give a damn. <laughs> As a really, really gifted physician, uh, I want to pay you the, the highest tribute I can give to a surgeon, which is when people come to you, they don't come for an operation, they come for an opinion. And that's why I trust you with my uh, friends and relatives. When I was a resident at the University of Chicago, we had a... That means you're smart. I didn't realize we were going to get the Michael Jordan of plastic surgeon. 90210 bows to this guy. ABC, what kind of weather are we having? Blizzard on Tuesday... Man, it was 73 degrees a few days ago, and uh, I was getting out the sunscreen. But uh, no longer get those coats uh, out of storage because uh, the big one for the season may be coming. Hopefully not. All right. Well, this is the program about you, your appearance, your skin, what you look like in the mirror. So this is the program for you. If uh, Let's say you're, uh, you're looking in the mirror. You just see those little wrinkles around your eyes, the first ones oh my goodness they're so disturbing this is a show to talk to to listen to to give me a call 800-848-WABC 800-848-9222 if you got those little wrinkles or or let's say you've always had the issue of a large nose i saw a woman this week she's 63 probably listening and i've done all sorts of facial rejuvenative procedures on her but she said to me you know what? It's time to do my nose. I've wanted a rhinoplasty my entire life. Am I too late? Of course not. Of course not. And we do the uh, rhinoplasties a little differently as you get older uh, than if you're, let's say, 17. Uh, and later, later in the show, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about rhinoplasties in older people. That means, let's say, over 30. And uh, we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. But we're also going to talk about breast augmentations, and we're going to talk about liposuction and tummy tucks and facelifts. That's what this show is all about. This is the show about you. So give us a call, become part of the show, and we'll send you a bottle of my nighttime. Everybody wants me to give out the nighttime. For a long time, we were giving out the soft time because it was moisturizer season. Well, believe it or not, it's spring. Well, hopefully in a couple weeks. And it's time to renew your skin, so nighttime has vitamin A, vitamin C, it's got fruit acids, antioxidants, skin brighteners, everything you want in a skincare program, and it's yours tonight for free. If you have a legitimate question, you can't just call up and say, caller number three, that's not this type of show. We need a question, that's your payment for the nighttime. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry, I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon, and uh, I've been around a while now, been in practice uh, 29 and a half years, although I was pretty young. I think I was the youngest plastic surgeon in the United States when I finished my residency. Uh, it was a long time ago, though, and uh, I'm on the faculty of Columbia, on the faculty of Rutgers, and I'm here to answer your questions. 800-848-9222. 
So tonight we're going to talk about the procedures in plastic surgery that are losing popularity. We started this off last week. We're going to talk about that. Our National Society puts out their statistics every year. And uh, I like to look at the ones that are kind of going away, maybe the ones that are uh, next year's popular procedure. So we'll talk about all those things. But I also want to talk to you about my soap and why. Well, I received an email today, a very, very nice email, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But basically the email talked about my soap and how it can now take off her makeup. And this particular woman has thrown out her makeup removers. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, I had a long discussion with Paula Begon. How many of you uh, know Paula Begon? She's uh, been a guest on this show before. She's uh, written a, a great book, Don't Go to the Cosmetics Counter Without Me. Uh, and uh, I wrote the back page of that book, the little comments. Uh, we were friends for a long time. We still are friends. But Paula and I got into an argument that lasted most of a day. We were locked in a green room together waiting to go on uh, Dr. Mike Roizen's TV show a few years ago. So Paula and I, we debated a whole bunch of things. People thought it would get into fisticuffs. But one of her premises was that you needed makeup remover. And I said, you know, I just don't think it's necessary. And I'll bet you most of you women use makeup remover, don't you? Well, uh, the email that I received today, just this morning, uh, thanked me for creating a soap that did away with her makeup remover. And, you know, I have uh, pretty much been against makeup removers for uh, forever. And, uh, and there's a good reason for it. Makeup removers have all sorts of, of terrible chemicals in them. And, uh, and you know what, let's, let's take a phone call. When we come back from our phone call, I want to talk to you about why I don't think you should be using makeup remover, and I'm not going to be making too many friends in the skincare industry. George, what can I do for you? What's your wrinkle? Uh, hey, doctor. Uh, my name is George. I'm, I'm one of those older patients you were talking about who's uh, contemplating rhinoplasty. So, All right, uh, and uh, what, do you have a question for me? Yeah, I'm actually um, I'm in line to have uh, my my deviated septum repaired and my nose straightened, and it's a uh, it's an incremental procedure to get a rhinoplasty. And I was just uh, wanting to understand if it made sense to to do it now or wait to see after the surgery was complete to see how my nose looked before proceeding with that sort of surgery. Okay, so so now, George, how old are you? I am 54. Okay, so you're still a pediatric patient, George. You're you're uh, you're you're a youngster. So uh, now uh, tell me tell me what your nose looks like. Is it crooked? It's crooked. Yeah, right where the bone goes to the cartilage. I broke it while I was in high school, and uh, I went to okay. sleep, that, sleep that night, and it uh, healed up crooked. Okay, and uh, other than it being crooked, are you happy with its appearance? Is it too large? Is it project too far from your face? Is it bulbous? Or are you basically happy with it, other than the crooked uh, nature of your nose? It's a little bit longer than normal, and the uh, and the doctor suggested that might be something I would want to look at, but uh, I'm not unhappy with it. Okay, so George, here here's the story. Now, now with your, uh, you said you had a deviated septum because you broke your nose which is pretty common, uh, you have problems breathing out of one side of your nose or both sides? Uh, one side. I can't breathe at all out of my right side. 
Okay, so then, then you're a good candidate then for uh, a septoplasty, which is an operation on the septum. So now is this going to be done by an ear, nose, and throat doctor or by a plastic surgeon, do you know? It's actually going to be done by a plastic surgeon. He's going to, he's going to repair the broken nose and also repair the septum. Okay, so, uh, so here's the story with the septum. Now, the septum is a structural support of your nose. It's the, uh, it is the uh, structure that, that divides your nostrils on the inside of your nose. It's made of cartilage, which is a plastic-like material, and on either side of the cartilage is mucosa, sort of like the skin on the inside of your nose. When you break your nose, and sometimes just uh, from you know the way you were uh, you're born, your nose could be uh, your septum could be deviated, and that means it tilts to one side or another, and or it bows to one side or another, and makes it difficult to breathe. Now, actually, almost everybody has a deviated septum. I mean, if you really look in people's noses, most people's septums are off to one side or another, uh, but they don't get it operated on because it looks okay or they don't have issues breathing. If it's crooked because of the deviated septum or if you have difficulty breathing out of one side, then those are indications to have your septum operated on. Now, we talk about the septum. That really is different from the rhinoplasty, uh, which is a cosmetic operation that changes the bones and the cartilage of your nose. Now, often we'll do the rhinoplasty along with the septum, uh, but they can be independent operations. So here's the uh, the real question for you, George, is if it's the breathing and the crookedness of your nose that bothers you, then by all means have the septum repaired uh, by the plastic surgeon or by the ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, and, um, and then, you know, the question is, uh, what about the rest of the uh, features? Now, if you're bothered by by a bulbous tip or a nose that's too large, then sure, that's the time to have a rhinoplasty. But if it really doesn't bother you, then I would not do that. You know, I would just take care of the breathing issue and the crooked nose. Uh, it's a very personal decision. Now, now, one thing that you should know is that insurance pays for the septum, which is the reconstructive part. They will not pay for the rhinoplasty, which is the cosmetic part. If your doctor is trying to get the rhinoplasty through insurance, uh, that's not so good because that's considered insurance fraud. We don't want that, and no one wants that. We're in this big debate right now uh, with uh, health care expenses in the, in the United States, and one of my pet peeves is people doing procedures uh, and claiming that they are uh, reconstructive where when they are really cosmetic. So uh, I want to caution you and the audience. We don't want that because uh, my chief at the University of Chicago used to tell me all the time, Used to he had a phrase, he'd say, if your doctor lies to the insurance company, well, probably he's going to lie to you too. So you want an honest doctor that's going to call it like it is. If it's cosmetic, it's cosmetic. If it's reconstructive, it's reconstructive. All right, George? Now, I got all that. I guess the one question was, is there some potential for savings by having the two, two procedures done at once, understanding that the insurance will only pay for, for that septum piece, and then the rest would be cosmetic? Or is, there, or is there really not a lot of crossover between the two? Well, you know, in terms of cost savings, that's up to the individual physician. Uh, in terms of for your body, sure, one procedure and one recovery uh, when we're talking about your nose is certainly better. So if you're, you know, if, in, if it's in the cards and you think you're going to have a rhinoplasty, the time to do it, 
uh, is at the time of the septoplasty. But if you're hesitant, if you're not sure, uh, you know, I wouldn't do it. You know, you yeah. want to be absolutely sure. When it comes to cosmetic changes, you must be absolutely certain that's what you want to do. Right. Okay, very good. Part- particularly, by the way, George, as a man and as a man older than the age of 25, uh, because sometimes it can be disturbing to see a change in your appearance in the mirror, by the way. You know, and, and, and teenagers, uh, they're used to seeing changes in their appearance because every time they look in the mirror, uh, they look different. You know, when they go from 13 to 14 to 15, it's a different person every two weeks. Uh, but once you hit about 18 years old as a man, you know, that's who you see in the mirror. And uh, when your appearance changes dramatically after a rhinoplasty, sometimes people can find that quite disturbing. So uh, so I was mentioning earlier the rhinoplasty of an older person is different from a rhinoplasty in a younger person. First of all, your bones are more fragile, so we have to do it a little bit differently, and we have to be a little more careful and conservative. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle. We'll be back after these words. Ladies, is time taking a toll on your appearance? I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry, and I've spent three decades perfecting techniques to help you look younger. If you have sagging eyelids, wrinkles, jowls, bands in the neck, or splotchy skin, I can help. Some people just need a change in their skincare, but others want procedures like Botox, wrinkle fillers, or Ulthera, and still others are ready for a facelift. How do you know which is right for you? Well, let's spend an hour together in my 57th Street or New Jersey offices. I'll examine you and we'll use my new 3D computer system to come up with a plan to help you start turning back the clock. Schedule a consultation by calling 212-753-1820. That's 212-753-1820. On the web, it's periplasticsurgery.com. That's periplasticsurgery.com. And don't forget to listen to me, Dr. Arthur Perry, every Saturday at 6 p.m., right here on WABC. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-798-9525. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-798-9525. That's 1-800-798-9525. 1-800-798-9525. I've cut way back on salt. And I ate lots of salmon and broccoli. I exercise to lower my blood pressure. <laughs> because you're so stressed. Because I try to do everything I can to be around for me and for you. When we take care of our own hearts, we're also taking care of the people closest to us. So it's comforting to know that RWJ Barnabas Health has New Jersey's most comprehensive cardiac care program. With access to top specialists, minimally invasive heart surgery options, and rehabilitation and wellness programs that strengthen and protect hearts. We're also home to the state's most experienced valve replacement team. And we're one of the nation's top five heart transplant centers. So get your heart checked. 
It's as easy as visiting rwjbh.org slash heart for an appointment. I plan on being around for us a long, long time. Me too. Your heart doesn't beat just for you. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. You're listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? And we are back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC, and uh, where we have uh, been at home for a couple of years now and for a decade before that and some other station that I actually don't even remember the call letters. All right, so we, this is the show about you. Give me a call, 800-848-9222. Of course I remember the call letters. And he's asking me, how could I not? But I won't say them. 800-848-9222. So I received this email, and it says, Dr. Perry, I received my package within two days of ordering from your company. Great. First thing I tried was the cleansing bar. I was shocked how it removed makeup. I've tried many makeup removers, and they did not do the job. What a great cleanser with four, I'm sorry, seven exclamation points. I hope to be a customer for be- for many years. I hope the rest of the products do a great job, too. And this is from Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate email like that. I don't read you the bad ones. No, we only have good ones. All right, so uh, so let me tell you a little bit about my argument with Paula Begon and uh, why I think you don't need makeup remover. And this email is a, uh, a great example of, of kind of backing me up. Uh, so let, let's talk about ingredients in a typical makeup remover. Now, I'm going to start you off. I'm going to tell you some of these things. And then we're going to go to an interview, uh, a Robert Wood Johnson interview. And then after the uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to come back to this topic because I find it really quite fascinating, and I'll bet you do too. So here's a... Uh, here's a um, a very popular makeup remover. Now, it's got something in it. Well, it's got three preservatives in it, okay. It's got cyclotetrasiloxane. That's a hard one to uh, pronounce. That's an endocrine disruptor, okay. It's got imidazolidineal. You've got to be an organic chemist to be able to pronounce these things. Urea-6. Now, that's, that's a good one, and I want to tell you about that chemical that's in your makeup remover in, in just a few minutes because uh, that is really something you need to know about if you're putting this on your skin. Uh, it also, uh, this particular one, has benzyl alcohol. Why do they have benzyl alcohol? That's an analgesic. That makes that makes it seem like these other things are not irritating you as much. So, so you know, um, that's, uh, that's not such a good thing to have. It really kind of numbs up your skin so that you can have all these other irritants clean your skin. Oh, there's things like Paloxamir 184. Okay, that's that's not so bad. It sounds bad. It's not that bad. Uh, but there's one, there's one that actually uh, releases formaldehyde, and that's the imidazolidinil urea six. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why formaldehyde is bad for your uh, skin. Well, we've got okay, we've got Dr. Rezac on the line. Dr. Rezac is uh, from the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And tonight we're going to be talking about Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And, uh, you know, this is such an important topic. You know, we talk about skin and things like that on this show. Uh, But every one of you is at risk for this particular problem. So, Dr. Rezac, are you there? I'm here. How are you? 
Well, thanks so much for taking time on your Saturday evening. Tell us a little about a little bit about colon cancer first. Why it's so important? And why it's so frequent? So, uh, uh, colon and rectal cancer is uh, in this country the fourth uh, most common cause of uh, fourth most common cancer. Uh, so it's it's behind lung cancer, uh, breast and prostate, but then it's then it's colon cancer. Uh, but uh, colon cancer is the number number two cancer killer. In other words, uh, once you get, you know, lung cancer is the number one uh, cancer killer. So that's the cancer that causes most deaths per year in this country. But colon cancer is number two. So that's why it's an important issue. Different than other cancers, All right, so, colon cancer, yeah, different than other cancers, colon cancer actually is preventable. All the other cancers, uh, the tests for, tests for those cancers are trying to detect the cancer when it's already developed, but trying to detect it early. Uh, early cancer detection is always better. But in colon cancer, there actually there is a test to try to prevent the development of colon cancer. And that's why it's such a, <clears throat> a big topic, uh, screening and things like that. Okay, my guest this evening is Dr. Craig Rizak. He is a colon and rectal surgeon. So what is that, by the way? A lot of people don't know these different specialties. Uh, that is a subspecialty of general surgery. So Dr. Rizak has completed his general surgery residency, did a uh, residency a specialty, which is called a fellowship in colorectal surgeon, and then after that, he went beyond that. You know, uh, the, the training of a general surgeon or colorectal surgeon takes forever. Uh, he did a laparoscopic fellowship to uh, so that he can do these procedures through little tiny incisions so tell us a little bit about the screenings for colorectal disease okay well yes it is a lot of years of training that is true but uh, so the screening test is a, is a colonoscopy that's the gold standard for screening today there are other things that can be done they're working on stool genetic testing they have something called a virtual colonoscopy which is uh, essentially a CAT scan uh, um, that's dedicated to reconstructing the colon uh, and just trying to detect early lesions that are called polyps. But again, the gold standard is a colonoscopy. Uh, so what we do is there is a cleansing, of course, that is the unpleasant part. Usually most people will have, and that's the way I do it, uh, anesthesia during the exam. Uh, so the person is completely comfortable during the procedure. And what we're doing is we're trying to detect the precursor lesion, which is called a polyp. What we can usually do with the during the colonoscopy is remove the polyps, and so studies have shown that by doing the screening, we're actually reducing the incidence of colon cancer. Okay, so so now let's let's uh, let's say we're a uh, I'm a 40 year old man, for instance. Um, do I need a colonoscopy? When should I start having this kind kind of screening? Yeah, Dr. Perry, that is an excellent question, and it's a hot topic today. So uh, we have seen over the past uh, decade uh, about a, a six-fold increase in frequency in colon and rectal cancers in people under 50. So the, the screening that we're doing uh, today is recommended at 50 years of age. So everyone at 50, whether you have a family history, whether you have symptoms or not, well, if you have symptoms, you should have it done sooner. And if you have a family history, you should have it done sooner. But let's say no symptoms, no family history, your average, what we would call average risk, you should have a colonoscopy today uh, at 50. But since we've been seeing this increase uh, in the incidence of colon rectal cancer at an earlier age, and we don't really know what that is. Is it environmental? Is it something genetic? 
we're not sure exactly, but there, we are sure that the incidence is increasing significantly. So we've been trying as a society to lower the age of screening from 50 to 40. So, so when you say I'm, uh, you know, I'm 40 years old and what should I do? Right now, it's going to be difficult to have an insurance company pay for the procedure at 40, and I, a person that's at average risk. But in my opinion, screening should start at 40 years of age. Officially today. Okay, so now let's... Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, we've got to we've got to make uh, our President Trump understand these things uh, as he uh, redefines our health care. Right. Uh, anyway. All right. So let, let's let's take the scenario now. Someone's had the colonoscopy by you. They've got a polyp that you removed, and it's uh, got some changes in it. What are you going to do now? What What's up next for the uh, patient? What do you do? Well, it, it depends on what kind of changes you mean, right? you know. So, so the, the precursor polyp or the precancerous polyp is something called an adenoma. There are various types of adenomas. Um, uh, so, if you have, let's say, an advanced adenoma, if we think that it's been completely removed, but there are signs of, let's say, we we call it dysplasia. In other words, the changes that get the polyp closer to becoming a cancer. Then you would well, let's let's jump right ahead. Let's let's say there is some cancer in that polyp. So, what what then? What do we do? Uh, again, complicated question. To you know, if 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 there is a polyp with cancer in it, it depends on where the cancer is. Do you think you have a, a, a good resection or removal? Is there a good margin? And really, when there's cancer in a polyp, if the polyp has a stalk and the cancer is more than a millimeter away from the end of the stalk, then you just do close surveillance. So I, that's somebody that I would say do a colonoscopy on in six months to a year, depending on where the pathology is. If you unfortunately have cancer that is now like colon cancer, then we're talking, then we're talking about surgery usually. Some, some so now when do you decide, when, when do you decide if you, if you need a colon resection for uh, colon cancer, when do you decide to, whether you have to do the procedure open with a big incision or when you can do it through a minimally invasive procedure, I love that term, by the way, right, with just a couple incisions, uh, uh, or when do you use the robot? I know this is a complex question. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds to answer, and then I'll tell you what. If you can stay on after the turn of the bottom of the hour, because this is a great topic. It's a very poignant topic, so I want to get into it in a little more detail, if that's okay. okay. So if you can so, answer, right. you know, start it off, though. All right, 90 seconds to explain uh, uh, eight years of training. And, okay, so, there you, go. you know, it dep- again, it depends on the type, kind of cancer, how advanced it is, where it is located. Is it in the rectum? Is it in the left colon, the right colon? You know, where, where it is. Also, the, 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 the person themselves, have they had multiple surgeries in the past? Do they have a lot of comorbidities, uh, other diseases that would preclude a minimally invasive approach? Um, but... Uh, if I could have someone with cancer in my office, I always try to approach this in a minimally invasive way. Why do I do that? There are clear benefits to having a minimally invasive surgery. Uh, these have been shown very clearly with, with literature and data and studies. Uh, you have less complication rate, you have a quicker recovery time, and long term you have less scar tissue that's formed internally and less chances of having bowel obstructions and, and, and the sequela of having an open surgery. So. Uh, there also have been multiple uh, good uh, studies in there, all over the world, in Europe, in this country, in Australia, uh, in Asia, uh, showing that there really, when you put it all together, there really isn't uh, uh, any major difference in outcomes for cancer surgery if you do the operation minimally invasively or open. 
So if you have the same cancer outcomes, but you have all of the advantages of minimally invasive surgery, then I try to approach, and that's the reason why I try to approach these operations in a minimally invasive way, robotics. So, Okay, Craig, now we're going to have to take a mandatory break for some spots. I want you to stay on the line, and we've got a question for you uh, from a listener. So uh, stay with us. This is Dr. Arthur Perry with Dr. Craig Rezac, uh, who's a colorectal surgeon from Robert Wood Johnson. And we will be, we'll be back after these words, 800-848-9222. I've cut way back on salt. And I eat lots of salmon and broccoli. I exercise to lower my blood pressure. <laughs> because you're so stressed. Because I try to do everything I can to be around for me and for you. When we take care of our own hearts, we're also taking care of the people closest to us. So it's comforting to know that RWJ Barnabas Health has New Jersey's most comprehensive cardiac care program with access to top specialists, minimally invasive heart surgery options, and rehabilitation and wellness programs that strengthen and protect hearts. We're also home to the state's most experienced valve replacement team, and we're one of the nation's top five heart transplant centers. So get your heart checked. It's as easy as visiting rwjbh.org slash heart for an appointment. I plan on being around for us a long, long time. Me too. Your heart doesn't beat just for you. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hi. You called 1-800-GOT-JUNK? How did you get here so fast? We've been circling the block waiting for you to call. You knew I was going to call? Busy retail stores like yours generate a lot of junk. And you've been really busy. Tell me about it. Displays, ornaments, decorations, banners, posters, boxes, packing materials, mannequins. And this is some expensive square footage. I'm paying a lot of money to store this junk. Tom 1. Yes, Brian. Over there. Tom 2. Yes, Brian. Over there. Now walk us through that list again, but point at the junk this time. Displays. Amazing. Ornaments. Decorations. I like this. We work until midnight, seven days a week. So you never have to take off work to meet us. You guys are the best thing ever. My brother owns a construction company. Do you do job sites? Absolutely. The magic begins when you call 1-800-GOT-JUNK or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM. 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS. K-A-R-S, cars for kids. 1877 cars for kids. Donate your car today. 1877 cars for kids. K A R S cars for kids. 1877 cars for kids. Donate your car today. To learn more about our programs and to donate, visit us online at carsforkids.com. Remember, that's cars with a K. Pickup is quick and easy. You'll also get a vacation voucher and maximum tax deduction. 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS, K-A-R-S-CARS-FOR-KIDS, 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS, The tech shows on this month. You know, I was thinking of looking at home security systems. Oh, cool. I'll go with you. We're looking for more home security ideas, too. That's why I called Budget Blinds. Budget Blinds? Look at this. A remote. 
for the blinds. Yep, motorized. Okay, well that's beyond cool. I love it. But what does it have to do with home security? Oh, they also come with a timer. The blinds and drapes open themselves in the morning, close in the evening. Oh, so it looks like somebody's home even when you're not. Exactly, and I saved a bunch of money. Sally saved a bunch of money. Yeah, but you'll take the credit. Yeah. My brother, the tech genius. <laughs> Thanks, man. Now give me that remote. Budget blinds motorized window coverings are the ultimate in luxury, and during the Luxury Within Reach event, they're even more affordable. The more you buy, the more you save with savings up to $2,000. Hurry and call 855-BUDGET-BLINDS now before this offer ends, or go online to budgetblinds.com. Don't miss out. Call 855-BUDGET-BLINDS now. Offer good on select products at participating independently owned and operated franchises. Restrictions may apply. Ask for details. You're listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? We're back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry, and this is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC. The phone number 800-848-9222. On the line is Dr. Craig Rezac, who is an assistant professor of surgery at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And uh, Dr. Rezac is a colorectal surgeon, so he's the guy to go to if uh, if you need your colorectal removed your colon or uh, or bowel surgery or, or things of that nature. Dr. Rezac, we were talking about about colon cancer and the different options of uh, minimally invasive, maybe a little bit more invasive. I'm always intrigued by the use of robots in the operating room, and I know that uh, robotic surgery is now part of colorectal surgery. Tell us, when would someone have a robotic procedure? So, so uh, I'm I'm also the uh, the uh, chief of robotic surgery at at uh, Robert Wood Johnson. Uh, so uh, I am uh, a firm believer in this technology. So a robot isn't really uh, what you would imagine in a science fiction movie. It really is a system of mechanical arms uh, similar to what's used, let's say, in a in a car factory or a manufacturing plant. Uh, and the robot that we use in surgery, uh, the latest uh, form, the latest platform is something called the XI or the Da Vinci XI, which is made by Intuitive Surgical. Uh, it is a platform where you have four robotic arms. Uh, the surgeon, uh, myself, would be sitting at a console in the room, uh, in the operating room, but uh, uh, separated from the patient. What is connected to the patient is is the robotic arms that are on that are on the platform. Uh, and that allows me to, so, so what I tell people is robotic surgery is the 21st century way of performing minimally invasive surgery. So laparoscopic surgery, which was developed in the early 1990s, is really the 20th century way of performing these operations. So which surgeries can we do robotically? Just about everything. Just about any surgery that's done open can be done robotically. The only, the only thing that precludes a minimally invasive surgery, and this is across the board, is when someone has a complex abdomen that, uh, let's say, they've had multiple surgeries in the past, so they have a lot of scar tissue internally, so you can't see the vital structure, so it's not safe to, to proceed that way. So that's, that's when you're stuck and you have to do it the traditional way, the open surgery way. And, and what is, what's the advantage of the robotic surgery as opposed to minimally invasive surgery? Right. So, so, so the advantages to the robot are multiple. So, so one... Uh, this allows me to have four arms in the operating room instead of two. So all the other ways of operating, uh, the surgeon has two arms, even laparoscopically. You're still working with your two arms. So I have actually four arms, so I have more complete control of the operative field. One of the big limitations of laparoscopic surgery is that you have a two-dimensional image of a three-dimensional person. Uh, Robotic surgery gives me that three-dimensional view. 
once again. It's high-definition, three-dimensional image, which allows me to see better. I also have advanced optics because it's a computer platform, so we can get special dyes and see vital structures, lymph nodes, nerves, ureters, all of these things can be seen with advanced optics. In other words, I can see better than I can see with my own eyes. Uh, in addition, laparoscopic surgery uses straight instruments. They look like chopsticks, so I lose a very important tool, which would be my wrist. I lose that. Robotic instruments are wristed. In fact, the wrist moves better than my own wrist because it can spin 360 degrees around. There's a computer interface, so movements are more harmonious. Uh, the natural tremors that we all have are eliminated by this interface with the computer. So, so, the so there's really a lot of reasons, oh, a lot of reasons absolutely. to go to the robot. So, and in fact, and that, and that in is, fact, when, it, yeah, when, when we look at the outcomes, and this is something that I have a particular interest in, uh, we, we, we presented this on, uh, uh, nationally and internationally as results. When you look at outcomes of robotic surgeries, the same surgeries done robotically compared to those done laparoscopically, uh, the outcomes are better. And the outcomes are better if you do it minimally invasively than compared to open. So it really is the trend going towards this kind of approach to these surgeries. And, and we're speaking with Dr. Craig Rizak this evening. He is a colorectal surgeon, and he is the future of colorectal surgery at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And by the way, if you want more information about this topic or others, Robert Wood Johnson has a great website, www.rwjuh.edu. That's rwjuh.edu. If you would like the phone number of a colorectal surgeon like Dr. Rizak, call Robert Wood Johnson, 20 24 hours a day, there's someone there answering the phone, 888-MD-RWJUH. That's 888-MD-RWJUH. Dr. Craig Rizak, thank you so much for taking time on your Saturday evening. I really appreciate it. I'd love to watch you operate one of these days. Absolutely. Give me a call. We'll, we'll see if we can bring you in. <laughs> that would be, be great. And thanks so much for taking time. This is Dr. Thank Arthur you. Perry. You are listening to What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC, the phone number. 800-848-9222. Lois, you have been hanging on forever. What can I do for you? What is your wrinkle? Are we are we there with Lois? Did we lose Lois? Hello? Hello? There you are. Lois, what can I do for you? Oh, fine. I'm just listening. You've got to speak into the phone, though. It sounds like you're in Norway. Hi. How are you? Uh, love your <laughs> That's much now? better. Okay, great. Yes, I can. Um, Go ahead. Phone. That was a great topic. I, I feel uh, I'm going to switch over to cosmetic now, okay? Uh, thank God I don't have that problem, the colorectal, etc. Um, I was just wanting to address my, um, what would you handle? What is the best treatment for, for jowly, um, for jowly and uh, it's regarding my appearance. And um, Okay. So, well, Lois, how old are you? Yeah, I'm 67. You're 67, and, and you've got jowls. Is that what you're trying I'm, to tell yeah, me? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to tell you that. Yeah, I'm developing jowls. All right. All so, the, Lois, uh, everyone, uh, everyone in their mid-60s has jowls. So so how do we deal with jowls? It is uh, one of my favorite topics. It's one of the things that keeps me up at night because I'm constantly <laughs> looking at uh, the new tech. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> my wife will tell you I'm sitting there, I'm reading, I'm learning. So um, so jowls are a, a necessary part of growing older uh, if you don't want plastic surgery. If you want plastic surgery, we can eliminate the jowls. So what are they? It's a descent of your tissue. It's not just the skin, but it's the muscle. 
and the fat and the fibrous tissue underneath. And it all kind of comes together to destroy that beautiful jawline that you had when you were 25. And now when you're in your mid-60s, <coughs> excuse me, in your mid-60s, you've got those jowls. So what do we do? You know, if you asked me that question and you were 35, I would tell you possibly we could do liposuction uh, because we could suction a little bit of fat and contour your face. Uh, if you ask me that question when you're 50, I would tell you, you know, we probably could do some Althera, which is high-energy-focused mm. ultrasound, a non-invasive procedure for the jowls. But the mm -hmm. truth is, when you hit the mid-60s, it's a mm -hmm. facelift. It really is, Lois. So a facelift is really an effective mm -hmm. procedure to get rid of the jowls, not just lessen, mm -hmm. but to get rid of the jowls. I mean, you know, would you, could you have a little bit of a jowl left over at the end? Yeah, you mm -hmm. could, but it will be drastically improved. And here's how we do a facelift in mm -hmm. 2017. So it's done usually with you awake uh, but sedated. That means an anesthesiologist is in the operating room, and he gives you a cocktail of medications to make you comfortable, to relieve your anxiety, and uh, and let me numb you up. And then I, I numb you up, just like a dentist does, but uh, kind of a bigger area. And, uh, and I make an incision underneath your chin, and I suction out whatever fat you might have if you don't have fat. We bring the bands together. Almost everyone in their 60s has bands, those Catherine Hepburn, yes. bands, uh, Catherine Hepburn bands. You know, the, the literature, the anatomy books say that uh, only about 80% have, but, you know, I'm hard-pressed to tell you that I've ever met a woman in her 60s that doesn't have those bands. So mm -hmm. we fix those bands, and then I make what we call a short scar incision now in front of the ear. We don't need mm -hmm. to go into the hairline, either on top of the ear or behind the ear like we used to. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called a short scar facelift, also called an S lift, because on one side of the face it kind of looks like an S, the incision that I make. So I lift up the skin, and I see your jowl. I'm looking right at that lowest jowl. I'm looking right mm -hmm. at it. And I will physically remove a little bit of fat from the jowl, and then I'll lift the jowl in its own layer. So it's a two-layered facelift. I lift that jowl, and I suspend it higher and a little towards your ear. So it's up and back just a bit. After we do that, I lift the skin. I lift it up. I remove a little bit of skin, and I sew everything back, and I do the same thing on the other side, and there's your facelift. It takes between three and four hours to do a facelift. Uh, it's an outpatient procedure, so you go home the okay. same day. You stay about two Two, oh, sure, you don't need to stay overnight anymore. You know, back mm -hmm. in the old days, when I was a surgical resident doing general surgery at Harvard, we kept people in the hospital. They came in the night before and stayed the night after their facelift. No one mm -hmm. stays anymore in the, in the hospital. Uh, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, and it's costly. And, and you know, even if you're in a hotel with a nurse, yeah. you get much better mm -hmm. treatment <laughs> you really, and better mm -hmm. food also. So uh, mm -hmm. so that's how we do it. Uh, you're bandaged up overnight. I see you the next day. We take out the mm -hmm. stitches at about a week or so, and you're back in action at about two weeks. So that is a mm -hmm. facelift, and that means that's your jowl operation, Lois. That's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. What do you think about okay. the Sounds great. Ah, oh, that's a that's a great question. I've got 15 seconds to the break, so here's the deal: you hang, uh, you hang on. You can actually hang up, and I will discuss the thread lifts when we come back from our break. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle? 800-848-9222. We'll be right back. Ladies, is time taking a toll on your appearance? 
I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry, and I've spent three decades perfecting techniques to help you look younger. If you have sagging eyelids, wrinkles, jowls, bands in the neck, or splotchy skin, I can help. Some people just need a change in their skincare, but others want procedures like Botox, wrinkle fillers, or Ulthera, and still others are ready for a facelift. How do you know which is right for you? Well, let's spend an hour together in my 57th Street or New Jersey offices. I'll examine you and we'll use my new 3D computer system to come up with a plan to help you start turning back the clock. Schedule a consultation by calling 212-753-1820. That's 212-753-1820. On the web, it's periplasticsurgery.com. That's periplasticsurgery.com. And don't forget to listen to me, Dr. Arthur Perry, every Saturday at 6 p.m., right here on WABC. As New Yorkers, we know how to take care of our own. It's rescuing milk from a grocer in Brooklyn Heights. For my baby in Jackson Heights. It's rescuing vegetables at Union Square. For our dinner near Tompkins Square. It's rescuing bread at the convention center. For my dinner at the senior center. Let's feed our people. Help City Harvest rescue excess food for hungry New Yorkers. Donate now at cityharvest.org. Give your neck a break with Van Heusen's revolutionary Flex Collar shirt. Experience the difference of expandable comfort with the world's first collar that stretches half an inch. Now available in regular and slim fit with all-over stretch fabric. The Flex Collar shirt gives you the freedom to really move. Shop the collection now at Kohl's, JCPenney, and Amazon. Experience the difference of expandable comfort with the world's first collar that stretches half an inch. The Flex Collar shirt from Van Heusen. You're welcome. Are you tired of wasting money on skincare that does not work? I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry, and I've created a product called Nighttime that really does reduce the appearance of wrinkles, and it evens out skin tones and smooths rough skin, and I've proven it in an independent study. My Nighttime contains vitamins A and C, fruit acids, antioxidants, and skin brighteners. Use Nighttime before you go to sleep, and then start the day with my invigorating clean time soap. And under makeup, Use my Daytime SPF 20 Skin Protector. And to make it simple, I put all three products together in a basic skincare kit that's yours for $75 this month only. Use the WABC code at drperrys.com and order the basic kit. That's D-R-P-E-R-R-Y-S.com or call 844-DR-PERRY. That's 844-DR-PERRY and get ready for beautiful skin. Listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? We're back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC. The phone number 800 848 9222. So the last caller was Lois, who's in her mid 60s, and she asked me about her jowls, and we spent a long time talking about facelifts, and then she snuck in a question about thread lifts right at the end of her call. So that's a big topic into, unto itself. So what is a thread lift? You know, they were around about 10 years ago. That's when they started, and what it is is a type of a stitch that was had little barbs in it. And they, they kind of acted like a fish hook. If any of you have ever gotten a fish hook embedded in your skin, you know, if you pull on it, it gets in there, you know, more. It doesn't come out if you pull on it. And that was the idea behind the thread lift. They put these little barbs into the stitch. They embedded it into your skin, underneath your, uh, your cheek skin, into your jowl. 
and then we would lift it. And I, I'm actually quite familiar with this technology because I helped a company develop their product. I won't tell you the name of the company because they eventually did not put it on the market. Uh, but And the reason they didn't put it on the market, I believe, was because the Threadlift, the company that made Threadlifts, uh, got into a lot of a lot of difficulty with their product. Now, their product was made of suture material that was non-absorbable. That means it was like a nylon type of material, and uh, we would embed these stitches into the jowl or into the brow or even into the neck, and then pull. And here's what happened: it looked good initially. Uh, but there was a failure rate that was enormous, and in fact, it approached 100% by the time you hit about a year. And some of the problems, about 30% of people got uh, infections or the uh, the threads were a little too close to the skin and they tethered the skin, real big problems. And so they were taken off the market. And so back in those days, my saying was thread lifts are threadbare, but as many things kind of resurface, it's like the phoenix rising from the ashes, so did the thread lift. And about a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half, the thread lifts kind of came back different in a different way. They came back with a different shape. Instead of barbs, it was these cones. And instead of a, uh, a nylon material, it was a dissolving stitch material. And and now instead of saying, well, these are a, a long-term, we, we do these with a long-term expectation of a, a result that would last many years, now we're doing them and saying, you know what, it's going to last maybe a year. So it's just another one of our techniques like fillers and Althera that are temporary and uh, maybe have some uh, benefit for people who cannot have facelifts because uh, either they cannot afford them or have medical issues like diabetes or uh, or other diseases that would preclude them from having a facelift. So this is an option. And, and with that in mind, I think that these new thread lifts are reasonable uh, procedures to do. I will be doing them. They're, they're new. Uh, I did many of these procedures in the old days with the old techniques, uh, but now it's a new one, and, uh, and I do think that they have a role. But if you think you're going to get a facelift result out of a, out of a thread lift, and if you think you're going to have a long-lasting result, no, I don't think that is going to happen. All right. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC. Uh, we've had a, a busy show tonight, but when we uh, started the show, I promised to give you a little bit more information about, uh, about makeup remover. You know, almost all women use makeup remover, so uh, I really looked into very carefully what is in makeup remover and uh, if you really look at it, if you look at the chemicals, there are striking similarities to industrial solvents, things that you want to use to get, uh, you know, oil off of things. And, uh, you know, if, if you have uh, a, an engine and you want it cleaned, you want to use these chemicals. Well, guess what? In, uh, in these makeup removers, there's some of those very same chemicals. So there's these things called cyclopentasiloxane. Oh, my goodness. You can hardly pronounce these things. That's a fairly toxic chemical. Uh, there's a... Uh, uh, oh, here's one that's in, actually, this is in Langham, which is a good company, but their, their double-action eye makeup remover, uh, that contains a, a good one called Quaternium-15. Now, that is a very strong irritant, and it breaks down to release formaldehyde. Now, in the European Union, they don't allow this chemical because they say, quote, it may not be safe in cosmetics. 
on the Environmental Working Group, a lot of you know that there's a skin deep um, website. It's a, it's a really nice website if you're interested in the toxicity of skincare products. You go and you put in your uh, your product or you put in uh, an ingredient. And it tells you what the toxicity on a scale from 1 to 10 is. And, look, 1 is water. So anything that has a 1 is not going to be, even though it sounds like, well, it's a 1, not a 0. Well, everything has uh, starts out at a 1, including water. But when you get up to quaternium 15, that's an 8. That's pretty high up on that scale. And uh, you're putting this stuff on your skin every day, and it releases formaldehyde in your body. Now, the last time I used formaldehyde, it was in medical school when we uh, injected it into the cadavers to keep them fresh. I'm not kidding you. That's what uh, <laughs> that's what was used, formaldehyde, and yet you're putting something that, uh, that creates formaldehyde in your skin. There's a lot of these things in makeup remover. There's benzalkonium chloride. You really have to look at these words and be able to uh, be a chemist to pronounce them. You know, that's, uh, that's another one that is um, an irritant. Uh, many, many people are allergic to that particular chemical. There are lots of preservatives in these chemicals. There are fragrances. Uh, there's this benzyl alcohol, which is a, a it's called an analgesic. And you know what that is, like aspirin and Tylenol. Why would you need an analgesic in one of these industrial solvents that you're putting on your face to get rid of your makeup well, because this stuff irritates your skin and without the analgesic it might sting and the companies certainly don't want you to have stinging when you uh, when you clean your skin well if you look at these things uh, you know i look at at all these chemicals and and look uh, i have a, a vested interest in this of course you say that because i've got a skincare company i've got products but i respond uh, I responded to what's out there in the industry. I made products that I thought were very safe. So my soap, which uh, that young lady who sent me the email and said, I'm taking off my makeup with your soap, this is wonderful. Yeah, I know that because that's how I designed it. I designed it with with non-toxic substances. So if you look at the ingredients in my soap, everything has a one. Water has a one, so that's a good thing, except... Lemon oil, that's a three. Why is that? Well, lemon oil can cause allergic reactions. Any of those, and that's what I always tell people. Last week we had a question about organic substances. You can have organic lemon oil, and it still is an irritant. It's an allergen in many people. In fact, 14% of people are allergic to lemon oil. So uh, that's why it gets a three on the scale. That's the maybe the worst thing in my soap. It's lemon oil. But, you know, the truth of soap is that if you don't put fragrance in, you won't use it because uh, soap does not smell good without a fragrance. Uh, that's the bottom line. And glycerin is in my uh, in my soap. Uh, glycerin is very nice. It feels nice. It actually smells nice. Uh, there are glycerin soaps out there, but glycerin gets a two on the toxicity scale. Not too bad. Anything uh, under uh, four is considered really quite non-toxic. But when you get up into some of these makeup removers, I found lots of fours and fives, six, sevens, and eights in the uh, chemicals in these makeup removers. So my advice to you is don't use makeup remover. Uh, why, why, is there, why are there special products that uh, remove makeup? Because makeup is designed to withstand normal 
daily um, exposure to a little bit of water, uh, even if you uh, if you gently clean your face, your makeup, your eye makeup, your lipstick's not supposed to come off. So they make these uh, these cosmetics with chemicals that are not water soluble. That's the idea. So in order to get them off, you know, those of you who have taken organic chemistry, you know, like dissolves like. So if it's not water soluble, you need to find a solvent that can dissolve the chemical in order to take your makeup off. And the problem is it's, uh, they're all toxic. They are. They, uh, when you take these things and put it on your skin and try and remove your makeup, uh, you're really exposing yourself to a whole chemistry set of chemicals. So, you know, I am a purist when it comes to skin care. I really try to design products that are as safe as possible. And, you know, if there's a category that I don't have, uh, that doesn't mean you use the non-safe product. Uh, you know, with a makeup uh, remover, I would say use my soap. Uh, if my soap can't get off your, uh, your makeup, you've got two choices. You can either use a different makeup, uh, you know, one that the soap can take off, which is what I would recommend to you, because remember, the whole idea is to stay healthy. So if you're putting makeup on and, you know, to make yourself look better, but poisoning your skin in the long run because of, one, the makeup, and, two, the substance that you need to remove the makeup, you're not doing yourself any favors in the long run. So you can either, uh, or you make that decision that you're then going to use the toxic uh, makeup remover, uh, and I do feel that uh, it is quite toxic. Will I come out with a dedicated makeup remover? You know, if I can uh, do that, but the honest truth is my clean time soap will remove almost all makeup, not all, and that was my argument with Paula Vigan at the beginning of the show. Uh, Paula is a very brilliant woman, and we did argue extensively about this topic. All right, I'm Dr. Arthur Perry, and this is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WABC as we uh, pretty much come to a, a near close of the show. I want to remind you uh, that upcoming on May 5th is the American Cancer Society's Night of Wine and Roses. It's my friend Dr. Michael Nissenblatt's annual fundraiser for the American Cancer Society. You can buy tickets. This is in Somerset, New Jersey at the Palace. It's a great place. And uh, the Palace, it's uh, owned by people who are really quite charitable themselves. So uh, the number is 732 951 6360. That's 732-951-6360 if you want to support the American Cancer Society and my friend, Dr. Michael Nissenblatt. All right. It's been a busy, busy, busy show. I could do this for a couple hours. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. During the week, 212-753-1820. That's the number. Check me out on Facebook. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week.